Welcome, everybody. It's Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for parenting complex kids, kids with ADHD, LD, anxiety, and all of the other wonderful complexities that we're facing in our modern world. And I am here today with a, a new friend and guest, uh, Shauna Tomini, who is an assistant professor of practice at Oregon State University. Shauna, welcome. Thank you, Elaine. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I think we're going to have a great conversation today. Let me introduce you, you all to, to Dr. Tomini. Can I call you Shauna? Absolutely. Please awesome. do. And um, I have a strong value around casualness, so that works for me. Um, so Shauna is, as I said, she's a professor of practice um, and, and works in the area of, of she's a parenting education specialist at Oregon State University. She serves as the principal investigator for the Oregon Parenting Education Collaborative, which is an initiative to provide high-quality parenting education to all of Oregon families with children ages zero to six. So you know that that's a sweet spot and a, and a passion area for us is parent education. Um, previously, Shauna served as the Director of Early Childhood Programming and Teacher Education at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. She's a former educator and a family service professional, and she blends together practical experience with research to, to develop and test programs that are really aimed at promoting self-regulation and social and emotional skills for children and the adults in their lives. So, and today we are going to be talking about this issue of social and emotional skills, and 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 the topic here, based on a on an upcoming book, she's she's got coming forward, is how to create compassionate kids and families. So, Shauna, welcome, and let's dive into like what's all of this about? Like, what's the what's in, let's start with this notion of social and emotional skills. What's so important about teaching kids and adults? The, what's going on in this realm of social and emotional development? Sure. Well, one of, the, one of my favorite questions to ask any group, any audience, whether it's parents, teachers, professionals, business leaders, or, or other community members, is this. If you had to choose one word to describe the community that you wanted to live in and that you wanted children to grow up in, what would it be? And I've asked this question now to probably thousands of individuals. And what's amazing is that, and not surprising, is that everyone chooses the same words. Everybody chooses words like safe, happy, compassionate, empathetic, yeah. accepting. Right. And even in a room of principals or superintendents, nobody says, well, more literate, more scientifically <laughs> minded or mathematically literate. And these are the skills that our education system is often accountable for teaching our children. Yeah. So all of those words that are being chosen to describe that ultimate society we want to live in points back to social and emotional skills. Right. Social and emotional, you know, development is this, is this realm that, that sort of dovetails in with the academic and the cognitive. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's, it's kind of its own kind of intelligence, Right. Absolutely. And we know that those two things go hand in hand. We want children who are strong readers, who are good at math, who are good at asking and answering scientific questions. But we also know that, as you said, social and emotional skills go hand in hand with that. We need to be able to get along, to do well in a classroom, to read others' emotions, to be able to express our own emotions, 
to be able to build friendships, to build social support, and to be able to function at school, at home, and in the community. Right. You know, it, you, you're reminding me, I was just on a call a little while ago. We do something for our members called Office Hours, where it's mm-hmm. just open Q&A and they can call in and ask questions. And this mom has a fifth grade kid, and she's doing a lot of work with him around social and emotional issues. She's doing some private coaching, and she's learning how to help him get off of technology without mm-hmm. having a fit, which is a big issue for a lot of our kids, right? Absolutely. It's a, it's a transition time. It's very, very difficult. Um, and that she's also dealing with this issue of him not getting his homework done in fifth grade mm-hmm. yet. Um, <laughs> And so the conversation we were having was, you know, long-term, which is going to be more important to him, that he does a few more minutes of of minute math or that he really learn to manage these emotional intensity that he has, right? And for him and his life, you know, the long-term success depends on his ability to self-regulate his emotions. Right. And those are skills that are, they are skills. They can be taught they can be practiced and improved, but we also know that those are skills that are harder for some children to learn than for others, that some children need more support than others in learning those skills. And when we think about how challenging that task is to really help our children learn those emotional intelligence skills and those social and emotional skills, it's a huge task that is, sits on our shoulders as parents. Mm-hmm. And I often use the analogy, or not the analogy, but really the example of a young baby. When a baby is born, what are the skills they have to manage their emotions? Pretty much not. (laughs) Pretty much not. So they can, they can cry, cry. They can tense their bodies and shake. They can get really tense. Sometimes they, they might even smile or coo at us, but these are the instincts and impulses they have to express their emotions. And there's not a lot of managing happening yet. All of that managing lays on our shoulders as parents. And as I hear you say that, I, I hear all the parents on my shoulders, right, yes. who are saying, but I was never taught this. I don't know how to do this. I have ADHD or anxiety myself. I, right. How do I do this if I'm still struggling with these issues or my spouse is still struggling with these, the reactivity ourselves? Exactly. And so when we think about that young baby and we think about being an adult and what we ideally want for ourselves as adults to be able to do with our emotions. What do we want? We want to be able to say, I'm really angry right now, or I'm really stressed. I think I need some help calming down, Mm -hmm. or I need some help managing this so I can do this well. But how many adults do we know who can do that and do that really well? Well, as my daughter says, adulting is hard, mom. Oh my goodness, it is hard. It's so hard. hard. And so we're going from this bundle of impulses and instincts to wanting to completely flip that and fight those instincts that were ingrained in us because that's what we had to do to survive. We had to shout or scream or kick, sometimes even as toddlers or preschoolers or as adults to be heard sometimes. Right. And if we're not taught how to change that and how to fight those impulses and do something differently, it can be very hard to do. And it's not just knowing about it. Mm -hmm. We have to practice it. Right. Again and again and again. Well, and I, and I hear Diane in my head because Mm -hmm. she uses this example all the time because so often what happens as parents fall into these patterns with, with their kids, particularly as they get older um, is that the screaming works. Right. For a short time. And so you, they get into this pattern, well, I'm going to keep going until I scream because they're not going to do it until I scream. 
And it does have a short-term benefit, but the long-term impact is that they're never learning and we're never learning how to shift those behaviors. Exactly. And what ends up happening is that those behaviors stop because we feel fearful of, oh, oh, the screaming's going to start again and I better stop right now rather than this internal motivation of, okay, this isn't working. I need to make a change or I'm going to do it this way because I want to rather than I'm going to do it this way because I'm really afraid of the screaming that's coming next. Yes, it's that avoidance versus like moving towards something. So, so where does compassion, what, what's, what's compassion got to do with all of this? Why is that such an important concept here? So compassion, if we think about what compassion means, and really it's empathy, being able to think about somebody else's feelings, being able to recognize those feelings that someone else is having and what they need, but it's a step beyond that. It's not just recognizing that, it's also wanting and actively trying to do something to make that person's life better. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want as parents. And when I say parents, I really mean biological parents, adoptive parents, foster parents, grandparents, parents, yeah. teachers, anybody parenting a child. It's wanting to make their lives better. Yeah. And that's what we want. Well, it's funny when you say that in the coaching world, we, we talk about in terms of wanting for we want yes. for others. Right. right. And we parents, we want so desperately for our kids that sometimes we get um, stuck almost in the outcome of what we want. Mm-hmm. Right. We want so much for them that we want them to do something. Yes. And what I hear you saying is, is that this is about pulling back from the doing and really wanting for a sort of healthier, holistic way of being. Right. And I think that compassion comes in, and as you're saying, that wanting for Mm -hmm. to the way that we approach our children and the way we step back and think, okay, my child is struggling. They're throwing a temper tantrum right now. They can't manage their emotions in this moment. I often use another analogy about teaching our child to cut with scissors. Mm. And if our child is learning how to cut with scissors, what do we do? Well, we step back and we look at the scissors and we see which fingers are they poking or which holes are they poking their fingers into. Their thumb goes in the, the smaller hole, their four fingers go in the larger hole, and we show right. them how to hold the scissors. Right. And then we cut hand over hand together and we give them a piece of paper to try cutting little snips or cutting straights or curvy sides. And then the next day they forget how to do it and we pick we up go the back again. <laughs> right. And we show them how to hold them again. And right. Why is it so hard to treat social and emotional skills with that same compassion and that same attention and calm that we teach cutting the scissors? So, so can I interject for a second? Because I don't know that it's, that it's so hard to, to have the compassion for it. I think we know what to do in cutting scissors, right? Yes, that's a great point. I'm not sure we are as confident as parents that we are doing it right or that we know what to do in teaching social and emotional management. That's a great point. And I think coming to it as teaching is a great first step mm-hmm. because when our child is having trouble with social and emotional skills, it looks like a meltdown or it looks <laughs> like hitting another child or hurting somebody or yelling at us. And those things trigger our own emotions and our own emotional responses in a way that cutting off the line or or having the scissors upside down doesn't trigger us. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing this is a skill. This is something my child is learning and needs support doing. And so I need to step back and take my own deep breath 
before coming to it so that I can be the parent I want to be in this interaction when I'm teaching these skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there, are there some core components? You're talking about compassion, and you know, mm-hmm. we teach a lot about compassion as well in, in our work. And there's a strategy we teach a lot called ACE, mm-hmm. um, which is acknowledgement and compassion before you get to exploring the options, right? Yeah. Is to really meet that child where they are and acknowledge what their experience is and have that full uh, emotional compassion for it before you get to solutions. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the sort of key strategies or key uh, tactics that you might help parents see so that they can feel confident when they're sort of putting their hands on their kids' you know, emotional scissors, if you will? Super. And I, I love that approach that you just mentioned with acknowledging and then coming to a pa- compassion mm-hmm. and then exploring. And I think one of the things that parents can do that sometimes we overlook is to lay the groundwork for this, lay the mm-hmm. foundation for these skills outside of those emotionally charged moments. When yes. moments <laughs> are happening, it's not the best time for learning, for right. communicating for any of us or for listening. And so stepping back and thinking about how do I myself model my own emotions? How do I be a role model of when I'm angry? Okay, maybe I get to that yelling point or maybe I step back this time and I take a few deep breaths and I explain to my child what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. This is really hard for me. I feel really upset right now. I can feel my heart rate going up. I can feel my face getting red. And ultimately, describing what we're feeling in our bodies, we can use ourselves as a role model to talk about how is my body feeling right now? What am I doing? And how is it even changing my thinking? This is making it really hard for me to concentrate. I want to be very calm, but I'm having a hard time doing that. We can start putting words to that ourselves. Well, and I love the transparency of that, the the notion that we as parents don't have to be perfect, that in fact, that when we model our imperfection, that's when our kids begin to really learn something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think too often we want to be the best parents we can be and we worry that being the best parent means looking or looking, appearing. Right? Oh, gosh. And our, if our children are struggling with anger or frustration or disappointment, a wonderful thing we can do for them is show them that we do too. Right. And it's the skill we're struggling with and that we're learning even as adults and it's a hard thing to practice another thing that we can do is talk about emotions and talk about feelings and we can do this while reading books how is the character feeling right what happened that made them feel that way and oftentimes in our conversations with children we talk about pleasant feelings we want you to feel happy don't cry don't get upset this isn't something to be upset about or we say things like... <laughs> tell them how to feel, right? Yes. Or, or right. we tell them to calm down. Right. But what does that really mean to a young child? And so can we do things like, let's practice feeling what, what calm is like in our bodies. Let's jump up and down and feel our hearts beating in our chest. And then let's take some deep breaths and feel our body calming down. Oh, this is what calm feels like. Mm. We can use book characters to talk about these feelings, both pleasant and unpleasant. Mm -hmm. We can use, if we are using screen time with our young children or older children, talk about how characters were feeling. How did they act when they felt that way? Well, there was that movie that came out a few years back that that sort of gave all of these emotions characters. 
and the power of, of, of being able to tap into a, to a medium that our kids are connected to and, and enlighten them with something that they can relate to is really, really powerful. I agree. And something that had come out of that movie was the importance of blue feelings like sadness and grief. Mm-hmm. And so often we don't want our child to have unpleasant feelings. Yes. When you ask a parent how they want their child to feel, they'll pick happy and interested and motivated and excited, but they don't pick sad, frustrated, angry. Not often. No. 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 Never. No. (laughs) I really want my kid to be miserable right now. Right. And we're afraid of those feelings. We want them to stop. We want to protect our child from them. But something really important we can do for our children is acknowledge that those feelings have value. Yes. When you're frustrated, it might help you overcome a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. They have to learn to navigate all of these different emotions in order to have that maturity that we're talking about getting to. So we're going to come back to that a minute as we wrap because we're almost out of time, which always blows me away. Oh, gosh. I know. It's so quick. Um, But I do want to give people a chance to find out more about you. And I know that the the website we want to send them to is a mouthful. So I'm going to remind people that they can link on your name in the bio and get to your website. Um, But do you want to tell people where they can find out more about the resources and the research that you've done? Sure. So you are very welcome to Google my name or to look at the Oregon State University website and look for Shauna Tomini on there. And on my page, I have some links to different blog articles on specific strategies that parents can use at home related to building social and emotional skills, like games you can play to practice self-regulation with your child, or different kinds of questions you can ask that really focus on emotions and how we talk about emotions with young children. Great. Fabulous. So again, it's Shauna Tomini, and you can click on her bio right here on the page and get all of the information about who she is and what she's done and, and link to, her, to more information and resources for her, from her. So, so Shauna, let's, let's start wrapping this up. We're talking about social and emotional development. We're talking about compassion. We're talking about some simple things that parents can do right away to really begin to, um, to raise their emotional intelligence, if you will, their EQ, as it's called these days, to, and to, to do that for their kids. Um, a lot of, uh, and so I'm hearing you, you mention things like um, being transparent and open, being um, overtly cat- compassionate and wanting for our kids, um, allowing them and giving them permission to feel all of their feelings, a full range of feelings. Absolutely. Right. Um, can you just touch real quickly before we leave on a lot of the children in our community struggle with social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of parents, I just had a parent yesterday, a new client who's really, really worried about her 12-year-old daughter. And I know you do a lot of work with, with younger kids, but, but are there any sort of tidbits for parents who are concerned that the kids, their kids are struggling socially or may not be reading social cues at the same place with their peers? I think many of these same strategies apply in terms of talking about emotions, using emotion language. And the more we practice and surround children with that practice of talking about emotions and really honing in on those emotional cues, so looking at, as I said, characters in books or in movies and really looking at how do you think their face looked when they felt this way? What do you notice about their eyebrows, their eyes? What are their mouths doing? 
we can teach children to focus on those different aspects of what changes in our faces, in our bodies. What does it sound like in your voice when you have that feeling? Mm. To really practice and fine tune some of those emotion recognition skills, both in others as well as in yourself and encouraging children to describe when you were feeling that way earlier, what was it like in your body? What did you notice changed? And have those conversations after the moment when you've come back at a time of calm. Right. Not when there's, when, when you're in a triggered state. I have this memory of my, my now, you know, 20 something year old daughter who at the time is probably 12. And I remember her screaming through the house, slamming the door, screaming at the top of her lungs. I don't know why I'm so upset. I'm just upset right now. And I was so proud. Yes. She right? was, that she was able that to moment. express what was going on. And she was kind of apologizing for being like a hormonal lunatic, which she was at the time. Um, but she wasn't targeting it and aiming it at anyone because she had the maturity and the emotional maturity yes. at that point to know that she just had this really strong feeling and she couldn't yet express what it was. Right. Um, and it turned out when we got curious and started talking about it, it was the first time she'd ever learned about what really happened to 9-11. Wow. And she had learned it at school that day. And um, it was perfectly age appropriate for her to learn it, but she hadn't yet emotionally processed it. Right. And so by the time she got home that day, it had been building up all day. Right. And so there was, there was an underlying sort of explanation for this intense feeling and she needed some time and some space to, to process it. Wow. Well, and what we know too is that sometimes children express emotions in a way that's adaptive. Right. And so as you're, as you're, as she was doing, she was expressing that emotion in the best way she knew how for some pretty big feelings. Right. And what a wonderful way to do that. And from the outside, it may not have looked like an effective or appropriate way to express emotions, but it very well was in that moment. And I think another, a final. Yeah, um, final. No, because we got to wrap this up. So I love that. Bring it down. Give us a final button. Sure. I was going to say a final message is I think that all of us as, as parents and as role models in children's lives should really think about how we frame our own child as well as other children. When we see children having of any age, an emotional experience of some kind, whether it looks like a meltdown or whether it's someone doing this in a way that we might think is very effective, to look at them as learners. Mm. It's so, children and adults can be so quick to point fingers and say, that's, that's the mean child, that's the bully, that's the one you don't want to stand next to in line, but instead to turn it around and say, well, she's learning and she's practicing how to talk about her emotions just like you do. Yeah, I love it. So, Shauna, thank you. Thank you for, for your beautiful energy and for the work you're doing in the world and mm-hmm. for, for sharing that wisdom with our community for a few minutes. Thank really you. glad you're here. Thank you, Elaine, for having me, and thank you for all that you're doing as well. My pleasure. So our guest has been Dr. Shauna Tomini. She's the Assistant Professor of Practice at Oregon State University. She's a Parenting Education Specialist. Um, and we've been talking about creating how to create compassionate kids and families. Uh, and you can find out more about her and her work at, uh, in her bio. Um, and I want to acknowledge you. Thank you. Welcome you for being here. Grateful that you were listening. I encourage you to tune in further to our next podcast. And 
um, and reminds you that there's a wealth of resources available for you about all of the issues that we've been talking about. There's an entire category on the website on emotional, uh, managing emotionality and impulsivity. And so I encourage you to, to explore and, and search and research and, um, and be patient with your process because it takes a while to begin to practice and integrate these, these skills that we're talking about. So thanks for coming. Thanks for the work you're doing with your kids and have a great day. Bye everyone.